and children are drawn to him and that we might find salvation. He is both Savior and he is Lord. And as we begin our series or second part of our series on finance, we want to remember that Jesus is Lord and he tells us what is best and he wants his people to be blessed. You know, we get comments kind of regularly on these kinds of sermons where we sit up here together and how long did it take to study for that and how much did you practice and all that jazz and to study for this one, um, it took it took eighty one years. Eighty one years, yeah. Robert. Yeah, between the two of us. <laughs> and we're and not it, kidding. No, we're not. <laughs> no, this is you're you're seeing the culmination. No matter where anyone who stands in this pulpit is, you're seeing the culmination of the years prior that they bring to the situation. So this isn't a matter of a few days of study. This is a matter of this is the culmination of however many years, and between us, it's 81 years. And here's what's interesting. In all those years that we've been in ministry, um, this this has been a constant. Finances has been a constant. We were not married all of those years. We didn't have children all of those years. We didn't have gray hair all of those years, or we did have hair some of most of those years. But, um, but finance has been a constant. We've always made money, and we... Uh, to one degree or another, we've always been called a responsibility in the finances. And so this has been something that we really have been dealing with in our own personal walk for decades. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time talking about a lot of things as we lead the church. And uh, one of the things we talk often about is finances, both our own personal finances and uh, the finances of the church, obviously, and, and you as God's people. And I think you would say that this is one of those foundational pieces in our lives that when we obey God, and this, this is an area of obedience, it's no different than any other area. We get a little more sensitive about it, I think, especially in America. Um, but it's an area of obedience. And when we choose as God's people to submit to Jesus as Lord and follow the scriptures, uh, there's a blessing in that that we're going to talk about. Um, it brings peace to your home. It brings peace to this crazy financial world we live in. Um, Mary and I have sought to obey these principles with everything we've got for about 38 years. And, um, and it's brought peace to our home in this area. And so we commend it to you as principles not only that are biblical, but principles that bring blessing and peace <laughs> to your home. So I hope together we'll listen to God's word today. I did an airport run last night. We had a brother who took a trip, and he left his truck at our house for the week. And so last night, I, was, I got voted to be the one to go pick him up at the airport. And I took his truck up there, drove up there, and there he was standing there. He got in the truck, and on the way home, I said, this is a nice truck. He said, yeah, it is. I said, I'll tell you what, when we get to my house, I'm going to give you this truck. He said, it is my truck. And I said, but I want to give it to you. That's what tithe is. That's what offering is. It's just giving back to the one who already owns it. His name is on the title of our tithe. It, it already belongs to him, and all we're doing is recognizing that it's his. And people say, well, what if I've missed tithes for a while? Here's what you do. When you, when you miss taking vitamins, right, which some of us have done for years in a row, and when you miss taking vitamins, you don't take, you don't take a month's worth of vitamins all at once. You just apologize for having failed at it, and then you pick it for back up right where you're at. Let's just be faithful today, right? And so all that we're doing is recognizing in our passage that we looked at last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 
we talked about that it's from him, it's he who supplies, but it's also to him because he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He will supply and multiply your seed. What is he multiplying your seed for? He's multiplying your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The, har- the, the harvest that we receive might not always be in the same terms that we planted in, but there will always be a harvest of righteousness for those who use the seed for its intended purpose of sowing. Last week we talked about how everything comes from God. You know, you think about it, just stop and think, what do you have that you did not receive? And the very life you have today is a gift of God. It's a gift that we woke up this morning and we get to be here and we have the health to be here, the strength, the abilities you have to go to work, to make wealth, the favor that you have with your employer. These are all gifts of God. And so we are to not only say thank you, God, thank you for being so good to me, but then turn around and go, okay, everything that I have is yours. Uh, Romans eleven thirty six 36 says this, from him, for from him, and through him, and to him now are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 14, uh, the writer writes, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer up what we have willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given back to you. See, we're giving it back, but we're giving back what is already God's. We're just choosing to obey, or what we said last week, to be stewards. That we are, as possessors of God's things, are to steward them faithfully and carefully and well and particularly in this area of finance and to use them for his purposes and for his kingdom everything that we have is for the kingdom it is to be set aside recognized and dedicated to the kingdom so that when we find the vision that god's called us to what has he called us to do we have resources that he's already given to us to accomplish the task that he's called us. Listen to what he said, First Peter 4. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God is the one who's given it to us, and so we're just stewards of his gift to us. And it's our responsibility to invest that in places that will bring the highest return, and that is something that will only be measured a thousand years from now. That's why he looks at us in Matthew 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust are corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Here's where I want you to put them. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven as neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. He has given us these things to invest in his kingdom to the vision that he's called us to so that we can see real-life transformation, real-life multiplication in our lives and in the life of this church. I I love the quote of Jim Elliott. Uh, It's very famous, but he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. And we're to be people who who give this away. We We can't keep it anyway in order to store up in heaven things that will be for eternity so let's let's store up treasures in heaven and when you think about what is it that we get to take to heaven with us what are the treasures of heaven right well it's a life well lived and everybody else we can take with us right (laughs) that also lived for jesus because we encouraged them and challenged them and used our resources to 
bring about the change of life in people, which is what our resources are for, primarily. They're for lots of other things. We'll talk about other things. But, but primarily to resource the kingdom work of God, to get people to Jesus, to know him, to love him, to walk with him, to walk in obedience to him. We have resources to accomplish this, what we call real-life transformation, real-life multiplication, pouring our lives into others to live for the big purposes of life. God says, when you're faithful in the financial things, Luke 16, 11, then I will give you the true wealth. <laughs> and that is the wealth of the kingdom. He will entrust us with the transformation of lives as we are faithful in the smaller things of ministry. And listen, this is for everybody. I mean, it's so easy to look at the preacher and say, well, this is something that you're supposed to live by. And it is something we're supposed to live by, but it's something for all of us to live by. It, it's not just for a particular class in the church. Eight years ago, I had this guy come up to me. He said, Robert, I was, we, were, we were in a financial bind. I'm good with kids, all that jazz. We were in a financial bind. I needed some money. I didn't know where it was coming from. I got a check in the mail from my parents, something that I had left at their house, and I had said, you can sell it in the yard sale. Sale had sold, and they sent me a check for it. It was the very exact amount that we needed. And I said, man, that is so cool. We see that happen so much. That is so cool. To which he said, well, it's supposed to happen for you. You're a preacher. I'm normal. That's what he said. I'm normal. It's not supposed to happen for me. No, it's, it's supposed to happen to, with anyone who, who has a covenant with the Father. The Father makes a covenant. There's no such thing as stepchildren or grandchildren with God. He makes a covenant with each one of us and says, listen, I want you to, I want you to walk with me in this area so that I can prove myself even in this area to be faithful. Colossians 3 reminds us we're not to do many things, but we're to please God. We're to serve Jesus wherever we go, whatever our call in life, whatever our vocation is, we're to serve Jesus. I, I remember in my corporate days really feeling like, I mean, I was going there to be a good engineer, I hoped, right? But nevertheless, my call, highest call, was to be a bright light for Christ. And I remember I was thankful for this moment when one of the gentlemen in, 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 the, in the office said to me, you know, I, I can tell that you came here to work, but you really have primarily come here to save us because you're not a Christian. And I count that as an honor that he would look at me that way. That was my aim in, in what I was doing. Wherever we go, we are to use our resources and God's calling in our lives to advance his kingdom. That is the call in life. The rich guy in Luke chapter 12 said, A land of rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. I have so much. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down those ratty old barns. I'm going to put up new barns so I can hold all my crops. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And look, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There are some, the wealth is a blessing entrusted to, some, to, to us, to some more than others. And the reality is that in America we have been blessed in, in financial resources more than most people who have ever lived in the history of the world. And certainly more than most people who are alive in the world today, we have been thoroughly blessed. I was reading about Cuba this past week. They're starting the, the electrical shutdowns and the rationing of diesel, and there's just nothing there. We are a blessed people. It's not, this isn't saying it's bad to be wealthy. What it's saying is we've got to be responsible with it. We have to recognize that we are stewards of this thing, and we have a responsibility to be deliberate and intentional about what we do with it. We don't want to just happenstance. We want to have a plan. We want to be deliberate about how we're faithful with this. 
And God reminds us in 1 Timothy 6.17 that riches have been given us to enjoy. Listen, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Start by putting God at the center, who then richly provides everything for us to enjoy. And so we are to be intentional with our money and make a plan. I know the budget word is like, but that's, a, that's freedom. When you make a plan and you organize your money, then you own it instead of it owning you. And so set aside, we'll talk about this in a moment, appropriately God's portion, but enjoy what God has given you. But just be very intentional. If you're not intentional, it'll be gone in a moment. And so we've got to think about this and plan. And so 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside <coughs> excuse me, and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will, be no collect, there will be no collecting when I come. It'll be ready. And so when we are proactive rather than reactive with our resources, we control it instead of us controlling it. And there's joy in it. There's enjoyment in it. When we're spending haphazardly and not thinking, we are always in panic and not in joy. It's a miserable way to live. We all have had our days doing this. And so let's listen to the wisdom of God. So Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and money. That he said you cannot serve both of them means that you can serve either one of them at any one given time. And if you're serving them, then who's in charge? Whichever one you're serving. If you're serving money, then you have money in charge. And so if we're deliberate about it, that's why Paul said, here's what I want you to do. On the first day of the week, be deliberate about this thing. Bring the, to the offering together that they had arranged so that we don't have to do that when I get there. But to be, de de be deliberate about it so that we are making certain that we're not being governed by it. So how do we do this? How do we do, how do, we do Proverbs 3, 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce? How do we do this thing? There are some biblical ways to do it, and the first one is, and we're going to talk to you about this, the first one is tithe. Now, look, we know tithe is a dirty word for somebody, but tithe is a source of blessing according to God's Word. Tithe is not about keeping records. Tithe is not about how proving how spiritual you are, and anyone who is going to take God's Word, particularly, especially a blessing in God's Word, and weaponize it and use it against God's people as a thermostat to see how spiritual they really are will stand in judgment for the misuse of God's word. This is not about us keeping track. We don't keep track. We don't know. We don't care. We don't want to know. This isn't about you and the church. This is about you and Jesus, period. And so when we're talking about tithe, we're not talking about something that we, a, a yardstick that we can measure anyone by. What we're talking about is this is a good place to begin our walk of obedience, our walk of discipline in our finances. It really is an issue of worship, an issue of what do we love? What do we love? You can't love both God and money. You can't worship both God and money. Who do you love? Who do you worship? And out of your heart then comes obedience. Do you love him with his, his commandments? And, and there is so much power in money to draw us to it and to control it and the way to break that power is to give the first 10% tithe means 10% that's what tithe means by definition give the first 10% to him it breaks the power right there you're no longer under his control you have it instead of it having you 
And this is why God gives us these instructions in Matthew 3, I mean, sorry, Malachi 3.10, we say this often, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts. If you will not open the windows of heaven for you, see if he won't open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so this is a deal between you and God. Doesn't include us at all. Who do I love? Will I submit to Jesus as Lord? And then simply test me in this. See if I won't pour out a blessing bigger than you can imagine. And he, in another place in the Bible, says, don't put me to the test. Here he says, put me to the test in this area. He invites us into this wager with him and see if I won't be more faithful to you than you can ever be to me. And he said, bring the tithe to the storehouse. Now, what is a storehouse? A storehouse is where you go when you need something. Where do you go when you're in need? Where do you go when you're in spiritual need? Where do you go? That's your storehouse. Then that's where you tithe. And you just be faithful with that. And Friends, it's not about us or anybody else. It's a, this is about you and Jesus, and it's a wager between us and him. And people are going to say, well, it's Old Testament. Okay, listen, we understand that, we get it. Here are three reasons why we believe this is outside of, greater than the law in the Old Testament. Okay, let me give you three reasons. First off, Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, 600 years before the law had been given, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. It's before the law. Second reason, Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and says, oh, you've tied, tied your mint, aloe, and rue. They would tithe the tenth leaf off of their mint plant. They were so legalistic. You've tithed everything you have, even down to your herbs. And he said, this you should have done, but you should not have left the matters of justice and love undone. So he's saying, yeah, you should have done that, but don't leave these other things undone. The third reason that we believe it's outside the law is in Hebrews chapter 7, where the eternal priest, the eternal high priest of Jesus, who is our Melchizedek, it says that he receives it in the heavenly places. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. In the other case, which is ours, by one, it is testified that he lives. Now, when they walk by with the plate, you know, I know that you think you recognize it. That's Jesus. That's Jesus carrying that plate. We are not giving our... We're not giving our tithes to that church or that individual. We're looking at Jesus saying, here, you said to give. I am handing this to you. I entrust this to your overseer. So we believe, and I think the scriptures teach this, that this is a good beginning point. This is kind of the elementary principle. Start right here. Give the first 10% right off the beginning. Plan it, set it aside, and just do it. Kind of like the train wheels are getting good at riding a bike. Just do it. Just get going as a beginning point. And then as God would prosper you and as you would see God's blessing and keeping of his promises, then increase that. We have often challenged people, give 1% more every year <laughs> as he prospers you. Start here. Give a tithe. Obey God. And then seek to grow that over time. And see if God won't pour out a blessing bigger than you can hold. But again, it's going to require a little discipline. And it's going to require a plan. Because you can't just spend willy-nilly and then get to the end of the day and go, Oh, I want to tithe, but there's nothing in my bank account. Because it requires some discipline of spending. And one of the real curses of life <laughs> can be a blessing. But one of the real curses of life is debt. Right? 
Americans love to just pull out the credit cards and throw it down. Now, there's a right time and a place, I think, for debt. I, I, I'm not going to talk about that today. But primarily, debt is not a good thing. The borrower is a servant to the lender, and it puts you in a bind, and it buries you. And I know this is crazy, but Mary and I decided way back in the 80s, 30 years ago, we weren't going to go into debt with anything except for our mortgage. And we weren't going to get out of that as fast as we can. We need to pay cash for everything, including our cars. I know that's crazy, but we just don't like car payments, all right? So I don't know if anybody likes them, but a lot of people do. We don't like them. So we just pay cash, right? But it takes a plan to do that, you see? And if you want to be a tither and a giver to church, you've got to have a plan. And you've got to start today so that you'll be able to do that tomorrow, see? And so we just encourage you to walk in God's leading. Now, there are going to be some who are going to say, well, it's built into the Old Testament. That's okay. That's fine. It might be. We're not arguing against that. It, it's certainly in the law. All we're saying is it's outside of the law. It's greater than the law. But if you don't want to agree to that, that's okay. We get it. Now let's look at what the, the New Testament has to say about giving, and we're really going to have fun here, right? You know, really, in, in the Old Testament, the tithe in the Old Testament amounted to about 30%. After you got done with all the tithes and the offerings and the herbs, everything that was required, it amounted to about 30%. So when we talk about a tenth, we're not even talking about really what Old Testament has to say. But when we look at the New Testament, giving in the New Testament begins with giving ourselves, first off, to God through Jesus Christ as being Lord. It said, Romans 10.9, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The salvation, the save, comes after the confession that he is Lord. And if he is Lord of me, he's Lord of everything that I have. Everything I come to him with, he is in charge of. And so our first realization is that in, in becoming a Christian, we are giving everything that we are to God. You're going to tell him your crusade story? Yeah, you know, if you've read about the crusades at all, the Christians who were going to go and murder people, basically, when they were baptized as Christians in the crusades, they were baptized, but they held their sword out of the water because they said, I will submit everything to Jesus except for my sword, and then they go to slavery. Well, today I think what Christians do is we get baptized and we hold money out of the water. I'll go under the water, whoa, all out of the water, and <clears throat> but I'm going to hold my money out because I'm not going to submit to Jesus in that. If he is Lord of your life, he's also Lord of your pocketbook, and then we submit that to him. Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Our first offering is ourselves to God. And out of that place of rest, out of that place of recognizing whose we are, now we can serve others. And friends, you're going to get worn out if you try and serve others out of your own strength. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If the, what you're doing is, is hard and heavy, you might ought to ask God if you have his if you have his yoke because his yoke is easy and his burden is light and serving others comes after having given ourselves completely to the Lord they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us this is where it starts it starts with the realization that everything I have everything we are belongs to him and then secondly a New Testament principle is that all of our giving should be rooted in and it also leads to joy the Bible says we're to be a, a hilarious giver. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful 
giver. Our giving should be rooted in joy. And then as we give, it just spirals up to more joy. It's a circle, and it, it spirals up. One of the great things about giving is we know we're giving to eternal things. We are giving to things that transform lives. It brings us joy to give, knowing that we're giving in ways that will help people find Jesus and know Jesus and submits our heart to him. And so there's this multiplication of joy within us as we give. Now look, look at what it says there in 9-7. Three things. He must give as he has decided in his heart. That means he's thought about this. When Don and I, when Don and I are at a meeting and they're going to take a love offering, here's our, here's our rule. If they say we're going to take a love offering, we have a rule. First off, we pray, God, are we supposed to give yes or no? And if the answer is no, then we don't give. And that's okay. If God hadn't called us to be a part of that, that's okay. He will call other people. But if he has called us to be a part of that, if the answer is yes, which it usually is, then the next question is, how much? And then we look at each other and say, okay, what number did you get? We usually get the same number. If we don't get the same number, which one do we go with? Which one do we go? We've decided. See, we've thought about this beforehand. We're going to go with the higher number. So there's premeditation about it as you've decided in your heart. Not reluctantly, oh, you're... I don't want to give to that group. I don't want to give to that organization. He doesn't want that kind of offering. It's, it's a, a, a free and generous, uh, excited offering. And then he said, or under compulsion. And listen, that's what happens when the Bible has been weaponized and you are beat over the head with it that you have to give to us and we're going to keep track of how much you've given. That is wrong. That is sick and wrong. That's under compulsion. And the Bible says, no, I don't want, I'm not interested in compulsion. I'm interested in a relationship with God where, where it's a cheerful giver, and that word does mean hilarious. We, had, we were at one church where they played some happy song. I forget what it was now, and everybody came up laughing and dancing to give their offering in a box up at the front of the, uh, the, front of the, the sanctuary. Okay, if you want to give a real picture of it, that sounds good to me, whatever. But what we need to say, it's decided in your heart, it's not reluctant, and it's not under compulsion. We have thought about this. And God, I want to do this because this is between me and Jesus. God says in 2 Corinthians 9, the next verse, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So as we give, he gives us more to give, that the kingdom of God can be advanced in greater and greater ways. And Jesus said, and I think he's right in this, Acts twenty thirty five: It is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? You want a greater blessing? You want greater joy? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to receive, right? We've all received a gift, and it's a, it's a good day, and we're thankful for that. And what a blessing, right? But I think that's part of the blessing of giving is the joy that the person that receives it gets because that gift was needed by them, and they see that God was working in the hearts of another to meet their needs. We do this just so regularly at Risen Life where that we see needs in people's lives and try to meet them, and the receiving of those gifts is such a blessing. But the greater blessing is ours as we give. And as we said, it's more blessed to give than receive. So let's, let's chase down uh, the blessing that he offers us. And it can be easy to say, well, I don't want to receive. I, I, I don't need anything. That, that can be as much out of pride as anything else. We have to be careful what our motives are in saying, oh, I, ne I could never accept a gift like that. Accept the gift. You might not be the end, the end person of that gift. What if God's just given you that gift through, from that person so that you can be the one that hands it to the one who really needs it? So we receive. 
as much as a blessing to the one who's giving. I will be the recipient of that blessing so that you can be blessed. And if I don't need it, that's fine. Somebody else is going to need it. I'll just hang on to it until I find out who it is so that I can give it to them. And it really is more blessed to give than to receive. It doesn't say it's not blessed to, to receive. It just said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It is a blessing to do both. And friends, the blessing that we receive by giving is not only so that we can give joyfully, but also so that they can receive in joy. It all starts and it ends with joy. It begins with joyful giving. It ends with joyful, joyful receiving. Hudson Taylor said it this way, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. And so giving has this compounding effect, I think, in our lives and in our church uh, and in our world, frankly. When, when, a, when you become generous, people see generosity and it begets generosity and people thank God. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verses 12 to 14, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. See, God is worshiped and he is praised and God's people are motivated to be more generous. I've seen this in church families. We had this thing kind of going on in Nebraska for a while where people were giving away cars. And uh, it started kind of with one person being really generous and giving a car to another. And then pretty soon someone else saw a need for someone to have a car and they gave away a car. And pretty soon the cars that were given away, I kind of said, I wonder if Mary and I could get in one. These are better <laughs> cars than we're driving. They weren't but, Pintos? Yeah, they weren't, no, <laughs> they were nice. And so... Anyway, so it's like, whoa, like God is like on the move here. That when, when you see God's people being generous, generosity multiplies, people get thankful, and God is praised and God is glorified. And the rest of the verse says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. Now look, here's your real practical application of the, the compounding results of generosity. This is a very generous church. We have had four church plants that have come out of this church. It is still our stated goal that when we get four to 500 people in here, we are praying right now for a church planter so that we can peel off some and send them to another part of the valley, anywhere that God has for them, and start another church. That's, that's our goal is to plant churches. And we have stated that, and you guys have given toward that. And in the past five years, we have been able to plant four churches in addition to helping six others. Now, how have we been able to do that? It's been because you have been generous. Your generosity is flowing out of this church into other churches through that church and ministering to people you will never meet. But because of your faithfulness, it is being compounded through the lives of all kinds of people all the way from down to Eagle Mountain, out to Rose Park, and everywhere in between. People's lives are being touched because of the generosity of this place into people that you will never meet, neighborhoods you've never been in. And it's because God compounds your generosity. And your, your gifts have allowed us to train up and raise up young pastors and send them out. And you can see that happening amongst us, right? You can see uh, people who are coming into ministry and growing and growing in Christ and growing in their capacity to serve and being sent out. And these are what your offerings are about. Really, everything that we do and everything we give ultimately is rooted in the gospel, that it is about the advancement of Christ and his kingdom. And we give because God has been so generous with us that he gave his son for us. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for his sake, your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus, the possessor of all things, God in human flesh, gave himself to die on a cross for our sins, that we can be freely and fully and completely forgiven. Last week we talked about if you filled up this room with $100 bills, that that wouldn't be enough money to buy even salvation for one person in this room. And someone did the calculation and sent me a text message and said, Kevin, that would be $1.25 trillion if we did that in the Christian center. Cool. $1.25 trillion would not buy salvation for even one person in this room. And yet Jesus came, God the Father loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross that simply through faith in him, saying, I am a sinner, God, please forgive me. I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. I receive your free gift of salvation by faith in you. We receive eternal life on the children of God and heirs of all things, simply through faith because of what Jesus did for us. It all goes back to praying the prayer to God. Second Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God. It started with us. It started with generosity. It started with the giving. And it always ends up with, and thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know what? When folks go to Guatemala out of this church, they take down money. That's cool. That's great. But the biggest thing that they need, Jared and Sean both said this when they came back from the last time of just spending time down there. The biggest thing they need is people who just spend time with them. People who just let them know you're not alone. It, it costs time. It costs effort to get from here to Guatemala. When we go to Cuba, oh, it, we, we handed, so we were able to hand somebody, we, the people just sitting in that circle, we took up a few hundred dollars and handed them something that changed their lives. They just burst into tears. And they said, here's what we need. We don't want your money. We just want you to come build relationships with us. Okay. And it always causes them to end up saying, dear God, thank you for loving us through these people. It always ends with people saying thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And friends, he is the one who gives seed. He is the one that we sow that seed to, and he is the one in charge of our harvest of righteousness. It begins with him, and it ends with him. And we get to be the conduit in between. Isn't that great? And the pipe through which the water flows gets wet. We get blessed in the meantime. So we've done our job this morning. We've been obedient to Christ to share with you the hard words of Scripture. Now it really is your turn. What are you going to do with what you've heard? Will you submit to Christ? Will you obey Him? Will you love Him and put Him above money? Will you take that chance that maybe He's right? It's more blessed to give than receive. Maybe it's the right thing to do. Maybe giving that first 10% is what God is calling you to do according to Scripture. And I'm going to test Him by doing it. Let's be people who love God. And in our love, we walk in obedience to Him. Father, thank you so much for the invitation to be a part, not only of your family, but of the work of your church. God, for those who have been beat up, for those who have beat others up by weaponizing your word, God, we're just so sorry. In the times, the cases where people could say we've done that, God, we just ask you to forgive us. Father, we want your word to do the work. You said it's like water that just seeps into the ground slowly. And it goes into areas that we have no clue of. Father, we receive your word. And we ask you to cause it to penetrate us. We just receive it, Father. I ask you to penetrate into us and change those areas in us that are not submitted to your will yet. 
Father, thank you for your teaching in every area. You teach us in marriage. You teach us in relationships. You teach us in serving the kingdom. You teach us in finances. And so for that, we want to say thank you. Father, please be glorified this morning. 